It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I am looking forward to talking with my guest today. Joining me is Andrea Waltz. Andrea's keynote speaker, co-author of the best-selling book, Go For No, with the subtitle, Yes is the Destination, No is How You Get There. And she is also the founder of Courage Crafters. Andrea, welcome to Accelerate. Hey, Andy. It's great to be with you. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me. So, take a minute, introduce yourself. Maybe how did you, how did you start your own journey to where you are now? Kind of a wild journey. I got a bachelor's degree uh, in criminal justice. I uh, wanted to... My daughter to... did as well. Oh, yeah. Okay. So there's hope well, for her, what you're saying. There is. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, she'll actually do something with it. I, however, did not. Um, I wanted to be a crime scene investigator back before all of the television shows were so popular. So you weren't inspired by... Las Vegas, yeah. CSI Las Vegas. Right. No, no, no. No, I was way, I was way before. I guess I was probably inspired by Clarice Starling in, in, um, in the uh, Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. But so I, that was my interest. However, one of the things that was required was to kind of start as an intern, low person on the totem pole and work your way up. And I really wanted to make money after getting out of college. And so at the time I was working my way up through Lens Crafters and I had um, was assistant manager and then a um, retail store manager and then a general manager of the whole operation and um, eventually was dabbling in training. I, I re- met my um, husband and business partner. We decided to launch a training company, speaking and training company, to teach our sales, customer service, management philosophies. And that is the direction I ended up going into. Not something I had ever planned, but as it turns out, I love doing it. Hmm. So, what was the sort of epiphany, if there was one, about this realization about go for no? And maybe maybe start just telling people what, what the basic philosophy behind go for no is. Right. Well, the basic philosophy of go for no is to intentionally increase your failure rate. And it applies uh, really to almost everything. It certainly is a sales philosophy, and it's probably the thing that we teach most often in sales. But it's also in um, in fundraising and um, innovation. It's that whole idea of failing your way to success and understanding that you have to fail more in order to hear um, more yeses. You have to fail more in order to um, innovate and and take those chances and take those risks. And so we, what happened was um, after we launched our company and we were doing training and we were training on all different um, ideas and strategies and topics, the go for no strategy was the thing that resonated with our customers the most. And, you know, they always say, listen to your customers. They will tell you, right, what, mm-hmm. what, yeah. what they love. Funny how that works, right? Exactly. And so we started when we, when we would go into break rooms and different places and we would see posters that said go for no, we said, okay, there's something to this. We need to focus on this particular particular topic. And that's what we did, wrote the little um, 80-page fable and um, that, that teaches the philosophy in a story in a kind of a fun way. And really, um, the whole goal is to help salespeople and um, 
really anyone who wants to achieve something, who has to ask, who has to put themselves in a position of hearing that word no, um, to go for it, to go for no. And that's the, that's the basis for that title. So, fear of failure is in itself the biggest cause of failing then, is what you're saying. Yes, exactly. And we're saying, hey, fail more. And we all were wonderful failures as children. We we failed at everything we tried, persisted, pushed through it, took the lessons that we learned, um, got creative, changed things up, and got better. And yet, as adults, I think whether you are um, an entrepreneur or a salesperson or what have you, what happens is it's kind of this uh, feeling of, hey, I have to be perfect. Um, I've got to do it all, you know, per, per, perfectly right out of the gate. There can't be any flubs. There can't be any missteps. And that's just not realistic. Um, and that's what I think keeps a lot of people from even getting started. Yeah, we all experience failure <laughs> at some point. And what you're saying is that let's embrace this, this because this is what teaches us what will be successful for us. Exactly. So, is there... Uh, yeah, we sort of dig down. Is there physiological reactions we have to hearing no? I mean, something that's sort of socially ingrained in us or, or ingrained in our DNA that, that uh, you know, this, this fear of failure is nurtured in us somehow? Well, yeah, there is. And I have studied um, this question. In, in depth since since this became I guess our you know our, our expertise um, I'm call, we, we call ourselves uh, rejectologists or failure <laughs> philosophers uh, I've studied experts everyone experts in failure experts yeah, in put failure the, put that yeah. in your, uh, your tagline I don't think it, that would sell very well <laughs> yeah I don't know I don't know um, well these days you know um, and it, there's almost a backlash because failure has become I think some people see it as oh we're we're getting too we're falling too in love with this whole idea of failing. And I see this written up sometimes in various magazines and on various blogs, you know, like settle down, let's not get too excited over failure. It's not that wonderful. And certainly, there are uh, not to say ramifications. I mean, there are clearly ramifications. I mean, people lose investors money, people lose businesses, people's hopes and dreams are dashed, you mm -hmm. know. Um, however, that's not to say that it's, it's just inevitable. And you have a choice, you can either um, kind of live in mediocrity and not and not take some chances and risk or, um, you know, shoot for the moon and, and hopefully, um, you know, you, you are successful in some, in some way. So I think um, in all the studying I've done, this there is a physiological reaction. I mean, the bottom line is this goes way back into human biology of not wanting to be thrown out of the tribe, not wanting to be rejected by our peers. And um, that really, if you get thrown out of the tribe when when you're, um, you know, depending on kind of teamwork for survival, um, that rejection is not good. And so, biologically, I think we're wired to avoid rejection, to not have that happen. And so, there is a kind of a gut feeling. And then, to avoid risk. And to avoid that risk, to avoid those rejections. And so, you have that. And then you layer in, I think, more modern feelings of wanting that perfection, um, wanting that approval from other people, not wanting to be judged by other people, not wanting to be seen as a failure. So, all of those things working in concert affect people at various levels. Sometimes there's some social anxiety or just some general fear about, um, you 
you know, being, um, you know, talking to strangers, picking up the phone and cold calling. So all of these things layer into it. And over the really the 10 years I've focused on this seriously and really studied this in detail and, and looked at it, um, people have this to all types of varying degrees. And so it's really up to them to kind of pick it apart and to start doing what Richard and I say, which is to start reprogramming the way you think and feel about that rejection, because that feeling is a big part of it. It's how you feel about it, how, and then, and then for salespeople is how you react. One of the things I ask all the time is, you know, when you get a no, um, how do you react internally in, in your mind? So what do you say to yourself when you get that rejection? Do you say, oh, wow, I'm, doing terrible today and this is not working out. Oh, and then also, uh, what do you do externally in your actions? How do you react? Uh, do you, do you stop making calls for the whole day? Do you just, you know, it's like, that's it. I'm not, I'm not contacting anyone else. I'm taking the day off from selling. Um, when you have those reactions, <laughs> I had those days that you're right. And then, <laughs> then, you know, it's an issue because obviously, um, from a productivity standpoint, sometimes it can be, okay, I'm taking the rest of the day off from selling. I'll get involved in some paperwork and do different things. And then the next day it becomes harder and the next day it becomes harder. And then you end up in this whole call reluctance cycle. That's, it's kind of hard to get out of. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, that's one of the things we want to get to eventually as we talk about call reluctance. Is maybe taking a step back before we do that, though, is that so we have the physiological reactions, which you said it's probably ingrained in our DNA because we didn't want to become an outcast in our tribe, and you know we depended on on being a part of it for our you know survival, if you will. But it seems like there's a cultural aspect of it as well. Is that you know we seem to be very fortunate here in the U.S. at least that there's a culture that's more accepting of failure? Or do you think that's not? I mean, certainly we have a risk tolerance in certain segments of our you know, economy that are you know, not enjoyed by countries, other countries. Um, yes. So, yes. So is, there, is that you know, completely segmented or is it sort of a broader acceptance across you know, our society that you know, we Horatio Alger and all these other you know, tales that have come up that you know, as a people, as a culture, we accept risk-taking and failure more than other cultures do. Yes, we do. Absolutely. And we have made, as I was kind of alluding to, great strides in that. Um, as I said, sent to some people's chagrin, actually, where they think, you know, we've gone too far extolling the virtues of failure. Um, I haven't, but I, uh, and, and that's mostly because I see that, it, that the fear of failure still holds so many people back. So I don't, I don't, I think, you know, maybe in Silicon Valley, some people feel that way. Um, culturally, though, absolutely. I mean, our, our society here in the in America, for sure, and we've spoken in England, and um, mostly, we haven't really done um, a lot of international, we haven't been to Asia, different places like that. But um, so I don't, I can't speak on some of that. Although I've read that um, in places like Switzerland, I mean, failure is just like you, like you don't, failure just cannot happen. I mean, it, it is just not looked upon in, in a good light. And um, I know in England, everyone um, thought that the go for no message was that they loved it, but it was also really um, scary for them because not something that they do. And also the funny thing about um, 
about um, in Britain is no, they're so polite, and they tell me this all the time. They're everyone's so polite, no one wants to say no either. So it's just this constant, <laughs> like you know, pull, push and pull of trying to get people to you know just hey, tell me no, so I can move on to the next prospect. So do people sort of think of this as sort of a uniquely American formulation? I, I get the sense that they do absolutely, and and but it it resonates. I mean, go for no sells, um, you know, at least on on Kindle and Amazon or around the world, and we've been translated into all kinds of different languages. So I know that it is universal, and I hear from people in all different parts of the world, even though we haven't gone there and actually done any training or anything. But I, I get emails, and, and people are just um, blown away by the concept, and they need it. Mm-hmm. Well, so let's talk about the the uh, I guess people changing people's relationship to to rejection is is really what you're doing is so what's the encouragement people should take from a no? Yeah, well, a few things actually. Um, the the first thing is really to uh, start to value those no's and to see the see the value when you get a no and try to. Take it not as a um, you know as a personal rejection, but try to look for the learnings. And one of the things that we teach people is that when you're not going and you're and you're avoiding opportunities to hear no. Um, so and and really, there's the biggest thing that happens, and this is salespeople, but this is everyone. This is. It, whatever you want to do, if you're trying to raise money for something, if you're if you just want to go across the street and ask your neighbor to borrow their lawnmower, I mean, this doesn't matter. If you're yeah, asking something, it's life and business, right? Not just business. life and business. And you, we do uh, two things that really sabotage, and that is we make assumptions and we prejudge what someone else is going to do. Mm-hmm. And those two things are really killers. So we spend a lot of our time on on trying to wipe that off people's um, mental slates. So instead of doing those prejudgments and saying, oh, this, I can't call this company. I mean, they would never, you know, they would never do business with us or with me. Um, it is, is reminding yourself to go for no and putting it into practice um, and, and just doing that behavior. And then when you have the quantity um, of your presentations, and you can get that to a certain level, and keep in mind, if you know, if, if somebody is a great quantity person, if they're out there making the calls, and this may not apply to them, but the person who's so afraid of hearing no, who's so afraid of that rejection, usually their quantity is really low, and so they never have a chance to figure out where their gaps are, where their skills need to be enhanced, because they're never getting down deep into the conversations enough um, to figure out where their needs are, if you will. Well, and I think there's layers to that, right? Uh, to your, yeah. What you were talking about is that one form of call reluctance that I see, and I think reps have to be really cautious about, is they'll make the call and they'll be, all com- be comfortable with the person saying up front, yeah, we're not interested. Mm-hmm. Because to them, that's not a no, right? They're just not interested. Whereas right. if they actually have to then ask the follow-up questions and dig then they might actually get a real no. And that's and so you see a lot of sort of superficial calling that takes place yes. because they don't want to really get in and dig. And so they'll take that first no, and it's not that's not personal. It's that second one where they really engage and they say no. Ooh, they don't want that. Yeah, well, that's and that's a great point. And I think that um, that is an example of where, you know, 
um, people say, well, so I should just hear no over and over and over again and, and never get any better. And our answer is, is, is uh, well, no, <laughs> obviously, uh, <laughs> no, you, you want to um, be, be willing to go for no. In other words, be willing to um, up your quantity of calls and then start looking at, you know, are you ta- just taking that? Yeah, we're not interested. Does it sound like it's for us? Um, are you qualifying that person um, or disqualifying that person? Um, are you asking the questions? Are you digging into objections? And that's really where some of those skills come into play that are so important. Yeah, yeah. So it's, again, for people listening, you have to think about it. It's, it's not necessarily that first no. It's really the real no is the one you want. And it requires a little more effort. I mean, I think about my own experiences when I first came out of school and and had uh, a typical cold calling job selling business to business, but selling computer equipment. But it, yeah, I wasn't over the phone. I was out making 30, 40 cold calls a day in the field. And uh, gosh, yeah, I was burned out by noon every day, every day the first couple of months because, you know, I just couldn't get accustomed to to the no's, actually. Right. So, it, was, so, it, it is, yeah, it is challenging. So, so how, what's sort of the key for people who are sort of in that environment that are, are doing the right things? They're not just, you know, doing the superficial calls, but they're asking the right questions and and you know it's just wearing on them what's what's the advice right so it, the advice is um well a couple things the first thing that so we talk about you know valuing that no and learning from it and figuring out where where are your gaps so that you can improve and so you can take what might be some bad numbers and improve in different areas. Um, but until you get to that point, right, until you having those conversations, sometimes um, people don't give themselves the opportunity. But if they are out there and they do, they're, they're just kind of beating their heads against the wall. Um, one of the things that we recommend, and this is just kind of a fun thing and a, a, a little bit superficial, we're not, I'm not digging down deep, but um is we teach people to set no goals. So set a goal for the number of no's you're going to collect on any given day or week. And in your case, you know, it would be, hey, go out and collect 20 or 25 no's. And when you get those no's, um, don't, you know, it, that's when you should celebrate. That's not when you should berate yourself and say, wow, I went to 25, you know, different locations. I got 25 no's. I, I am terribly bad. It's celebrate your activity rather than just the outcome. And one of the things is uh, um, a good friend of ours, he called us uh, one day and he said, you guys are going to love this story. He said, I was out making calls. It was like Friday afternoon. It was 530. I was, my goal that day was to get 10 no's. It was like um, you know, in the afternoon, 530 in the afternoon, he said, I wanted to get that last no. I wanted to get my 10 no's and kind of reward myself for what really was a massively productive day. And he said, so I decided, you know what, I'm just going to call this guy. I've been calling on him for uh, about two years now. He always says no. He always puts me off. I will call him and just get the no and I'll be done and I'll be satisfied and it'll be great. And he said, I made this made the call to the guy and the guy said, oh, Mike, I'm, I'm so glad you called me. You know, I've been thinking about you and yeah, let's go forward. Um, you know, come in on Monday and we'll sign the deal and, and let's go ahead and get go forward. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's kind of funny when you make um, your process, whatever your process is, kind of a game and collect those no's. Um, and you can collect no's in any given particular interaction. Um, you can collect no's asking for referrals or 
um, you know, if you're if you're trying to just get through the gatekeeper and you 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 want to collect nose, trying to you know find the right person, there's all different ways you can collect those nose. But when you make it a game and make it fun, you're really celebrating your activity more than the outcome or the results. And quite frankly, uh, sometimes we can't control the, yeah, that outcome. Absolutely. Yeah. No. I, yeah. I was just interviewing um, Jason Jordan. If you're familiar with him. Mm-hmm. Cracking the sales management code, which is all about, you know, you can control activities, you can't control outcomes. So manage activities. Uh, yeah, it really resonates. I mean, that's what I advocate for people as well is, you know, focus on the activities. And yeah, if one leads to no, or as you said, it set a goal for no's, yeah, that's like setting a goal for a yes. It's just the, the other side of the coin. Absolutely. And Andy, I have to I just add something here too. And this has to do with just, I, we've been watching baseball recently, and um, Richard is a diehard Cubs fan, and he was, you know... <laughs> the good news, was, bad news. <laughs> good news, bad news, yeah. And he was freaking out um, a couple weeks ago because they happened to be on a bad streak. Yeah, a little and, slump, right? Yeah, a little slump, and now they're, I think they've won, you know, about 10 games in a row, and it's the best streak they've had all season. And, you know, we all, as salespeople, have those weird, streaky periods, and you just have to remember that. And it's hard sometimes. I mean, there's just no way around. Sometimes be selling um, is just hard sometimes. And sometimes we're just in a down period and we just are in that, that you know, striking out one after the other. And you think like, this is the end, you know, the end is near. Um, and it's just not. Uh, and so you have to do what you can, I think, um, to keep positive and to to listen to you know motivational uh, things um, things that get you pumped up things that, that keep you thinking positive because we all have those down periods and, and you just have to move through them sometimes yeah I think it's a great point is is you know you have to have sort of a toolkit about um, you know building up your your confidence and as you said it could be something motivational you listen to it could be music it could be uh, you know, particular speaker, you know, a TED Talk or you know, an ebook or something that you you have that you can go to that there gives you those those basic affirmations and actually even using affirmations I think is very powerful. I think people tend to look at them somewhat askance, but um, yeah, I know a lot of people that uh, on a sort of daily basis, you know, their little affirmations at the beginning of the day are very powerful for them. They are powerful, absolutely. It's funny that you even say that. We created uh, some go for no affirmations around uh, courage and persistence and attitude and all kinds of affirmations set to music just around our training um, to help people kind of do that reprogramming process. But I remember, um, I mean, my thing was I loved listening. The very first training I ever listened to, uh, audio training, was Secrets of Closing the Sale by Zig Ziglar. Mm-hmm. It's probably still one of my favorites. I mean, it's so old school, but I just, his stories are funny. His, his, um, he just doesn't take himself too seriously. And yet it, it was just great training. And so, yeah, if you can find some things that you love and just listen to them over and over again, it can be very powerful. Well, and you really raised a key point there, I think, is that the thing that really makes go for no work, I believe, is that you can't take yourself too seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, you know, it's it's not you. You know, this isn't personal, right? I don't know what. How do you guys deal with that issue? Because I know so many sales reps. You know, that know at the beginning, they just internalize it, they personalize it, they think it's about them, and it's yes. it's really not. Yes, absolutely. Um, how do we deal with that? That one is re- a really hard one. Um, in fact, one of the books I recommend repeatedly to people who and and, and as I said um, earlier in the interview here. Um, 
we find that people have different uh, issues, right? It's like some people just, they, they've got a problem picking up the phone. Other people are like, eh, I can pick up the phone, but I just hate, you know, I, I, when I finally get the person and I've worked really hard and then I lose the deal, I just freak out. It's like different pieces um, of the puzzle. And that, that taking it personally thing is challenging because that's something that usually is pretty ingrained and uh, we really have to val- learn to value other people's opinions um, just like we value our own. You know, I tell people all the time uh, and, and especially it's kind of funny when we get um when we get like some really nasty negative review on our book, which is, which is, which is always funny, you know, and, and I have to step back and I go, you know, I, walk out of movies sometimes because I just go, oh, I, I just can't sit through it. There's books I can't finish. Sure. And when I when I learn to depersonalize and say this person is entirely entitled to their opinion, however nasty they may they may be been, it actually makes me it makes it easier for me to take it. But I'll tell you this, the book that I highly recommend to anyone with that is their as their particular issue is the four agreements. And um, it's four agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And in that book, one of the four agreements is to not take things personally. And, and it seems, you know, well, what, what, how deep can he get? And he, he just really talks about understanding that it's not about you. It really says everything about the other person because we all, it, it's all really about us, right? And so everything in the world is about us. And and when we can depersonalize and realize that that person is just reacting based on their beliefs and how they were raised and everything that they know, it just, I think it just makes it easier. So it's important to find those tools when you can analyze where you are in the process. And so I always encourage people to create a no awareness when they first look at go for no, you know, how many no's are you getting? How, what is your reaction, your internal reaction, your external reaction? Um, where in the process do you fall down? Do you have a fear of um, other people finding out that you, you know, fail a lot and hear a lot of no's? Do you have a problem being judged by other people? Um, do you take the no personally? And if you can figure out where, you know, the gaps are, then you can reach out and get more tools in addition to just, okay, read, go for no, and and really internalize that taking action, um, which is really a positive, proactive step, but also what can you do just to help your own psychology? Exactly. Exactly. Well, so another question that sort of comes to mind then is, is, I guess, understanding what a no is. Yes. And that is a whole other thing, isn't it? Um, Especially in sales, because I think a lot of people, well, I hear this all the time, and I'm sure you do as well, which is, uh, you know, well, it's hard to get no's. People don't like to, people don't like to hear no, and they also don't like to give no's often. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So I'm always telling people, you know, uh, be clear. If you have to say to this person, hey, um, I'm calling you back one last time. I want you to know that if you're not interested, if it's just not for you, a no is a perfectly fine answer. But if you could just let me know, that way I'll take you off your off my list. I, I'll never contact you again. Uh, trying to get people to you know, to give you that no can be challenging. And like you said, you know, what is that? No. Um, is, and then that comes back to that managing of the uh, objection. A lot of times, um, 
it's not a no. It's just, I need more information. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there's something that they don't understand. And so as a salesperson, you've got to get creative and finesse that a lot of times and, and dig into the real reasons. Yeah, you need to listen. I mean, I think that's an important part of, of that is to understand what a no really means. Or at least to me, it's, it's uh, yeah, I know there's some people that <laughs> I had written a blog post about sometimes saying basically, sometimes no is a no. Right. And I had this sort of small backlash from a certain segment of people that were like, no, no, no. When you get a no, that's the time to really start selling. And like, well, no, not really. <laughs> right, right. Sometimes and, a no is a no, and that's okay. And that's okay. And we say that, all, you're right. And we say, hey, a no is a perfectly acceptable answer, especially if you get it early. I mean, you know. Um, coming from Richard and I are fans of kind of a high probability selling model, a disqualification type yeah, model, if, if you too. will. Yeah. And, and so if I call somebody and I say, Hey, um, do you guys ever, uh, bring your people together for sales training? And they say, Nope, never done it. Never going to do it. And then I say, well, okay, let's talk about that because I'm going to spend the next hour convincing you why you're wrong and you need to start doing that. I would rather just say, all right, fine, um, and move on to somebody who does hire sales trainers and try to sell them on our sales training services yeah. rather than trying to, you know, pull this person. Um, so that's kind of where we come from on that. Well, yeah, there's a, the whole segment of sales training that's that's based on this theory that, you know, the first no is never a no and so on. And and yeah, you're a business owner. I'm a business owner. I, I when I tell somebody no, I oftentimes, most times, I, I like to believe that's yeah, a no. Mm-hmm. So because yeah. I, I don't have the time or energy, and and I want the same thing when I sell. As I'm like you, I want to disqualify, and I talk about that in my books very often. Uh, both my books devote a lot of space to this whole issue of disqualification because yeah, it frees your time up to go sell to people that are going to buy. It does. And, and, and yet, you know, so on the flip side, there's that. And then there's, well, yeah, we do hire sales trainers, but no, we're not interested in you. And that's where I say, okay, now you can have some fun with this, mm-hmm. right? I mean, now you, you, they're qualified. It's just a matter of they don't have the information. They don't know enough about you. So, you know, you've got your work cut out for you now if you want to stick with this person and see what you can make happen. Um, you know, but, but I think just kind of understanding the difference is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Now, in this last segment of the show, I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And the first one is a hypothetical scenario. Actually, you said you've listened to some episodes, so you should be prepped for this. Is a hypothetical scenario posed to all my guests. You, Andrea, have just been hired as the VP of sales at a company whose sales have stalled out. And they're anxious to get things unstuck and back on track. And, you know, sales turnaround, I know, doesn't happen in a day. But, you know, you're in charge. Your first week on the job, what two things could you do that could have the biggest impact? Oh, yes, I was, I'm aware of this question, but um, <laughs> fully unprepared. <laughs> I, I think the first thing I would do is sit down and interview uh, everyone on the sales team to find out kind of where they are with their, in my, my assessment of their skill level and also their passion. And if they, if I find people that um, aren't passionate, uh that's going to be a big red flag to me. So I would I would really want to get to know the team. And that may not do much for a, bit, a turnaround quickly, um, but that would be really important to me. And the second thing really is um, I would take a look at the intersection of sales and marketing. And I think that's a, I see that um, 
as a big disconnect for a lot of companies. And and being a really small business owner, it's not an issue for me since I am sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. But um, I think looking at what's going on with um, the outreach and the outbound marketing, and compared to you know what are the processes of the salespeople and what are they doing to support marketing and vice versa. I think those things would would be my two my two first steps. Okay, excellent. Yeah, I love the thing about passion because, it, you know, and and when you have a, a turnaround situation, and and I tell people that that you know you can have a turnaround situation if you have two bad months in a row, you know, you're not necessarily throwing everybody out and bringing in a new sales leader, but you know, you're basically going into a turnaround at that point. You're going to do the things you would do if you were start sort of doing a turnaround in terms of assessing your team and. And that passion thing is really important because you're really enrolling people in a mission, in a cause, if you will, at that point to get, get past the, sort of the slump that they're in. Absolutely. Yeah, if there's no passion, hard to, hard to make that happen. Okay, it, great. It is. Yeah, great answer. Okay, some rapid-fire questions for you. So the first one is, when you, Andrea, are out selling your services, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Oh, um, I think my most powerful sales attribute is just my belief in how much I think uh, our message can help people and how quickly it can help people. So for me, it's just the belief in my, in my product slash service. Yeah. Okay, great. Who's your sales role model? Oh, <laughs> right now, uh, my sales role model is probably Gary Vaynerchuk. <laughs> um, I, I'm sure I sleep far longer than Gary sleeps. Uh, I like, I actually like naps. So, um, but he's, He's my sales role model in his um, ability to produce content, um, to be authentic, and to just, I just love his hustle attitude. Right. Yeah, he's excellent. Uh, Other than your own, one book that every salesperson should read. Well, I'm going to go back to the four agreements, and I do recommend Mm -hmm. that often for people who struggle with, you know, fear, failure, rejection, all of that. Uh, It's an incredibly powerful book. And the author again? Don Miguel Ruiz. Don Miguel Ruiz. Okay, on my list. And last question for you then. What uh, this is a tough one. What what music's on your playlist these days? Oh gosh, um, I like uh, alternative. So um, Thirty Seconds to Mars mm-hmm. and My Chemical Romance is what I'm listening to most often. Wow. Okay, My yeah. Chemical Romance. Gosh, kind of old school alternative. I was say, old school, old school out. Yeah, I hadn't heard them yep. for a while, but yeah, excellent. <laughs> All right, well, good. Well, Andrea, thanks for being on the show. Tell people how they can find out more about you. Uh, come to GoForNo.com. There's a no quotient quiz, videos, blogs. It's a great place to dig in if if it's something that they're interested in. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. An easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate a part of your daily routine, whether you listen on your commute, in the gym, or make it part of your morning sales meeting. That way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Andrea Waltz, who shared her expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.